in episode 521, I'm going to be sharing with you the top 10 most downloaded, most popular episodes of all time. Get ready for some mega inspiration and mega wisdom. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, Comparisonitis, and Time Magic. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited that you're here because we are doing something very special today, something that we have never done before, and that is sharing with you the top 10 most downloaded episodes of all time. With over 500 episodes and millions of downloads, these are the top 10. And this may change, who knows? But right now, as it stands, these are the top 10. And before we dive in, I just want to thank you so much for being here. This is a top-rated podcast. I am so grateful that you keep showing up every week to listen and to hear from myself and the incredible experts that we have on the show. So thank you for being here. I love doing this podcast for you. I love supporting you. I love sharing everything that I love and that I learn with you. So thank you for being here. And if you do have any recommendations of things that you'd love for me to talk about, people you'd love for me to get on the show, just send me a DM and I will do my very best. I do have a whole bunch of solo episodes coming out very soon, which I'm so excited about. So stay tuned for those. And if you want to be the first to hear the episode, make sure you sign up to my newsletter. And that's at melissaambrosini.com forward slash newsletter. And you will be the first to hear the new episode. And you will also get so many juicy insider insights that I don't share anywhere else. So make sure you jump on that list so that you get all of the juicy goodness that I don't share anywhere else. All right, let's do this, guys. Let's dive in to the top 10 most downloaded episodes of all time. Number 10 is with the incredible Denise Duffield-Thomas. Now, she has been on the podcast twice, but her first episode, which was episode number 211, why you don't have the wealth that you want and what to do about it. This episode is so good. If you have limiting money beliefs, if you need to upgrade your money mindset, this episode is for you. Because many of us have inherited not so inspiring money beliefs. You know, maybe you grew up with the narrative that is, money is hard to come by, you got to work hard to make ends meet, money doesn't grow on trees, etc. I'm sure you can all relate to one of those narratives. But they are not the truth, and that is not our truth. And if you want to call in more abundance in your life, if you want to shift your relationship with money, you first have to heal your relationship with money. 
And now I did this many, many, many years ago. I realized that I had inherited my father's beliefs around money and they weren't actually my truth. So what I did was I wrote down the stories I was telling myself about money and I looked at it and I asked myself, is that my truth? And the answer was a big, loud no. So then I wrote an apology letter to money saying, I'm so sorry for disrespecting you. I'm so sorry for speaking poorly about you. I'm so sorry for thinking that you are scarce and not abundant. And then I wrote out my new money beliefs, what I truly believed. And I stuck it on my wall and I read it every single day until it became part of me until it became my new operating system. And any time I would slip back into old ways of thinking or patterns, I would remind myself of my new money belief, my new thoughts around money. And this took time, but it's so good to reprogram your money mindset, your money beliefs. And now if anything ever comes up, I can say, oh, Oh, that's, you know, just some old belief. That's actually not my truth. And I can come back to my truth. And we can do this with all areas of our life. So that is what I did to reprogram my money mindset. And you have to also remember that if you want to create more abundance in your life, you have to look at yourself first. If you want to be a millionaire, are you acting like a millionaire? Do your actions reflect that of a millionaire? Or do you still have these limiting scarcity beliefs around money? So it all comes back to your beliefs and how you are showing up in the world. So this stuff is really big for a lot of people. Money, wealth, a lot of people struggle to talk about money. But the thing is, we live in a world where we need it. We need it. And for me, money is about freedom. Money is about choices. I love making money because I get to then provide for my family. I get to rescue children from sex slavery. I get to buy my friends gifts. I get to support my in-laws and my parents and do beautiful things. So money is about freedom and money is about choices. There's nothing dirty about it. There's nothing wrong about it. It's just our perception and the stories we're telling ourselves about it. So there's no mistake that I think this episode is number 10 on this list, the most downloaded episodes of all time because so many people struggle with their money mindset, wealth, and abundance. So now I want to share with you one of my favorite snippets from this conversation with the incredible Denise Duffield-Thomas. What are some common money blocks that people have and How can they move through them? And and a lot of the times, we're probably not even aware of these blocks that we have. So what are the common ones and how can we move through them? Sure. So I find that there's some really universal money blocks within entrepreneurs, particularly amongst female entrepreneurs. Um, And the first one is that you have to work really hard to make money. I see this is such an origin story for so many of us. And I, I find that it comes up in different ways depending on where you grew up and how you grew up, which is really fascinating. So if, you, if you're if you born in America, for example, America itself has a very strong culture of busyness, workaholism, working really hard to make money. Australia's 
version of that is a slightly different and it's around fairness and equality, you know, a fair day's work for a fair day's pay kind of thing. And what I find that how that trips us up, it sounds like, oh, that's a really good thing to have a work ethic. The where where it trips us up now, especially if you work online, is that your your soul or your money consciousness, it hasn't caught up with the fact that we live in a digital society now. So you actually might feel really weird and icky and not know why that it's it could feel really good for you to make money. For example, writing an ebook and selling that or creating an online program or just talking to someone on Skype and coaching them and helping them. Those things feel really good on one side and incredibly weird and guilt inducing on the other side. And it's because of this work hard culture that we've grown up in. Most of us who have grown up, you know, with a kind of analog childhood and a digital adulthood, we don't know how to quite deal with that especially if your friends or family members aren't in this online world, you know, most of them have to go and do something physical for their money. So it just hasn't caught up. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. So that's a big one that you see? That's the biggest one, I would say, is everyone's flavor is slightly different. And I want everyone listening to think about what your parents said about work and money. They might've said something like money doesn't grow on trees. Most of us heard that one or, mm-hmm. you know, a hard day's work for a hard day's pay or another day, another dollar. Those things are so deeply ingrained in us that we actually resist the ease. We resist the easy path. We also resist what we're here to do, which is so funny. Most of the time our work, our calling is an unraveling, not a discovery because I could motivate and inspire people when I was a kid. That's what I did, but I didn't think that was a job because it felt too easy. It felt too obvious. It felt too enjoyable. And my idea of work was something that you had to go and do that you didn't necessarily like. And then you got a little bit of money for that. So I'm sure most people listening have their own similar stories. What's interesting about that though, is it doesn't matter how much money you grew up with, it can still be a universal money block. So I've Mm. met people who have very wealthy parents who were lawyers. I mean, if you're a wealthy lawyer, you're probably billing hundred hours a week. You know, I've mm. met people whose parents had to go and work in manual labor. My mum had to clean houses for a living. So when I, suddenly I've started making money just from talking to people, it just felt so wrong in my body mm. because I felt bad and guilty. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I really want to talk to this guilt and, and to this ease in a second. But one, one of the blocks that I had was you got to work hard. You got to work really hard. That was one that I had. And so it's really interesting just over the years, watching my evolution and process, and then also watching that pop up and becoming aware of it. Yeah. So what can we do? Like for everyone listening, who's like, oh, okay, I'm aware that I have some money blocks that are stopping me from stepping into that ease, which is our truth. What can we do? Like, how can we release these blocks so that we can really step into that ease? Well, I think the very most important thing is awareness. Yeah. You know, that, that takes care of so much because then you're like, oh, okay. That's why I'm doing X, Y, Z. And if you can link that belief to then the behavior, then you can, you can do something to stop it, which I'll talk about in a second. But I just want to sh- 
to give you some practical examples about how this might be showing up for people. One big one is a reluctance to delegate. Mm. Oh, I, I had that for years. Like, I mean, I've been doing my business now for since 2011 and I had so much reluctance at the start, so much, like couldn't let go of control. I'm the only one yeah. that can do my emails. I'm the only one that can do admin. Like, I'm the, like, no, really, <laughs> Melissa, really? But it wasn't until I delegated that my business went to the next level. There you have it, my friends. I really want to encourage you to go and listen to the whole conversation with Denise. That is episode 211. She is incredible. And start working on your money mindset. And let me know how you go. I absolutely love hearing from you guys. And I have something very special coming out very soon, which is going to help you with this as well. So keep your eyes peeled. Jump on my list so that you are the first to hear about it. Okay, number nine. This episode, the ninth episode, was such a goodie. It is called How to Transform All Areas of Your Life Using Hypnosis with Marissa Pia. This episode is so powerful because hypnosis is not something that a lot of people talk about, but it is so powerful. And I truly believe that if you learn it and you add it to your weekly or daily rituals, it is so powerful. It is so powerful. There's so many incredible apps out there now that you can check out. But this conversation with Marissa is truly transformational. So go have a listen. She takes us through a little hypnosis. You're going to love it. And I'll see you on the other side. Can you take us through a hypnosis? Like I would love to, yeah, have you take us through if that's something that you'd, you'd be open to. All right. So first of all, let me tell you how to get into hypnosis, which is not scary. It's actually extraordinary. The trick, and it is a trick, is to look up as if you're looking into your eyebrows. Keep your eyeballs up and then close the lids down. So let's quickly rehearse this. Just look up as if you're looking into your very own eyebrows. Keep your eyeballs up. And keeping your eyeballs up, just close the lids down. Now you may find a little fluttering going on, which is called REM. Because when you look up like that, you get a burst of alpha. And alpha is both a relaxing brainwave and one where you're able to accept good suggestions. And now you know you can do it. Let's do it properly. Make yourself comfortable. Just make sure your feet and hands aren't touching. And all I want you to do is look up. Keep your eyeballs up as if you're looking into your own eyebrows. Take a deep breath. Breathe in. And breathe out. That's beautiful. And again, breathe in. And every time you blink, deep, deep, powerful hypnosis is coming upon you. And just one final time, breathe in. Keep your eyeballs up. The more you blink, the deeper and faster you are getting ready to go into hypnosis. And as you exhale, keeping your eyeballs up. Just close your eyelids right down, all the way down as your eyelids shut down. The muscles and nerves in and around your eyes are becoming heavy, droopy, drowsy. Your eyelids are starting to feel as if they have been glued shut, sealed shut, locked tight. Just forget 
all about your eyes. Just allow a drifting, floating feeling to develop in your body. Just drop your chin as if you're looking down 10 steps. Just get that looking down feeling that you might get as you look down a flight of stairs. And as you count backwards, you're going to see your feet, hear your feet, and even Feel your feet treading each step right now. You are looking down 10 steps. You're moving on to step 10 and 9 as each muscle. Every nerve turns loose, lets loose, and you go deeper. You're taking step 8. You can see your feet, hear your feet, even feel your feet treading each step as you go deeper. You are taking steps seven and six, going deeper into an awareness of yourself. You are taking step five and four as each muscle. Every nerve turns loose, lets loose, and you go deeper. You're taking step three and two. You're taking step one, just allow yourself to go deeper, drift deeper, sink deeper, just go deeper and deeper. And even deeper into an awareness of yourself. Every time I click my fingers, just go deeper, drift deeper, sink deeper, just go deeper, 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 deeper. And as you go deeper, I want you to think about some issues in your life. Maybe it's stress. Maybe it's not being able to relax and let go. Maybe it's a money block or a relationship block. Maybe it's because you just don't think you're enough. And that's why you haven't got the loving relationship you want. Or you have, but it's stressful. Or you haven't got the money you want. Or you have what you want but you're stressed and you don't sleep well because you're holding on to something and working for something with this inner belief that says, I don't really deserve it. I'm not enough to have this. No one can have it all. So I'm going to count back and you're simply going to go back to why you ever switched from knowing you're enough. And I promise you that you were born with unquestionable certainty you're enough. And there's somewhere you changed your mind. We're going to go back and find out why. And we're going to get rid of that belief forever. And that on its own will change your life. And just before we begin, I want you to know that you cannot relive any of this. You can just review it with fascination. It's going to be an aha, illuminating moment that cannot hurt you because you can't relive it. You can just review it. Let's go right now. Your brilliant mind already knows even as I spoke to you, it started to locate the scene, place, event, time, which is where you ever began to doubt you're enough. And right now on the count of five, you are going back to a vivid, vital, crucial, absolutely significant scene that is all to do with where you ever believed you were not enough. On the count of four, you are becoming years younger. On the count of three, two, and one, you are becoming smaller, lighter, shorter, drifting right back right now to a vivid, vital, crucial, significant scene, which is why you don't think you're enough. Just be there. This scene in your mind where you are right now, is it daytime? 
or is it nighttime? Are you inside or outside? Are you on your own or is anybody with you? And here's the only question that matters and the one that you can answer immediately. Where you are now, what are you doing, seeing, feeling, and experiencing? I want you to feel what you felt then, to see what you saw then. And as I click my fingers, your ears are open. You can even hear exactly what you heard then. One, two, and three. Here it comes. I want you to look over and around and right through that scene because this scene is all to do with how, why, where, and when you ever began to believe that you were not enough. And as you look over and around and through that scene, you see the truth. The truth is that when you've been on the planet for just a few years, maybe two years, maybe five years, maybe seven or ten years, but not that long, when you've been on the planet for just a little while, you form beliefs about yourself. You came to conclusions with a life experience and the mindset of a little kid, and you believed you were not enough, and that isn't true. But we're going to go to another scene to do with this same feeling again on the count of five, four, three, two, one. You are clearly, vividly, easily drifting back to a specific scene, a detailed scene, a vivid scene, all to do with believing you are not enough, not trying at all, just be there. And it's rather like you switched on your computer. A picture is warming up, coming into focus. This scene where you are now in this picture. Look over it, around it, through it, see how old you are, what you're doing, seeing, feeling. And more than anything, how this scene is linked to you buying into this belief that you're not enough. I want you to feel what you felt, see what you saw. And as I count to three, your ears are wide open. You can hear what you heard then. One, two, and three, here it comes. So I want you again to look over and around and through that scene with your adult mind and go, oh, yes, oh, of course, oh, wow, when I was just four or six or seven, I believed that. You see, before the age of four, you don't even have logic, only feeling. I haven't got what other kids have, so I'm not enough. My parents always shout, I'm not enough. I'm not smart like other kids, I'm not enough. And I want you to make this your illuminating moment, your aha moment, as you see how, where, why, and when you got that belief. And now, I want you to imagine you're holding those two scenes in your hand, the two scenes you went back to. You're looking at scene one and two like you're looking at two DVDs, but you're also looking at your life today to connect them. That's why I feel not smart enough, attractive enough, worthy enough. That's why I'm stressed and I can't sleep or I have money blocks or love blocks or success blocks. And I want you to understand the truth. You came to these conclusions as a child and that is not you. And I want you to say out loud, that's not me. That little kid in scene one is not me. I want you to repeat after me, that kid is not me because, and I want you to finish this sentence, because I'm not three, 
because I'm not that kid. I'm not the smallest kid in the class, the one who's left out, the one wearing secondhand clothes, one without a dad, whatever it is, just say, that's not me because, and that will never be me ever again because. And now let's go to scene two, the same thing with a loud, strong voice, repeat after me. That is not me because, finish that sentence out loud. That can never be me for the rest of my long, gorgeous life because. And remember that when you're saying this, you're changing all the neurons. This is called practical neuroplasticity, rewiring, refiring, recoding your mind. So this is a bit like installing brand new software. As you look over and around and through those scenes, you can understand why you believed what you believe. But now you understand something so much better. That is not you. For the rest of your long, gorgeous, lovable life, it will never, ever, ever again be relevant or interesting or necessary. It won't even be remotely appropriate for you to ever again think the way you thought as a child or believe what you believed as a child. As a child, you couldn't know better. Now you know better. Now you're free. And now you can move on from one fantastic accomplishment to another. Let's just do one more thing for just a minute. I want you to put your arms around that little kid in the scenes you went back to. And I want you to move them to wherever you live now. I want you to move them into your home with your friends, your family, your own kids. And I want you to say out loud, even if it was kind of silly, I want you to say, I'm becoming a loving parent to you now. I'm upgrading you into my world. This is a nicer, better, safer place. You're here with me, and I believe in you, and I love you, and you are more than enough, and everything you need is available to you. Love, joy, success, wealth, health. And I want you to literally upgrade that little kid into your life. Because you're not your childhood. You're not your past. You're not your school days. You're not the position you were in your family. And you're not your bank account or your weight or shape or size or years. You're not any of those things. That's what you are not. And what you are is deeply lovable. And absolutely enough, gifted, talented, meant to be here, meant to be you. And enough, and now that you know it, the whole world will know it too. Because as you wake up every day and go, I am enough, and write it all over your house, you don't just give yourself permission to be enough. You give the whole world permission to recognize your enoughness. And you recognize theirs, so knowing it. Seeing it, feeling it, living it, stating it, writing it, reading it, putting it into your passwords, putting it on your phone alerts, printing it on your pillow, making it your statement of truth. When you're ready, you can just slowly, calmly, easily just open your eyes and just come back into the room feeling amazing.
and feeling enough, not just sometimes, but all the time, now and for the rest of your life. So just open up your eyes. I want to encourage you guys to continue with this hypnosis for a week. See how you feel and then check back in with yourself. It is super powerful. It's been around forever and it is such a powerful tool to help transform all areas of your life. So check it out. Let's move on to number eight. This is episode 197, How and Why I Quit Alcohol with Dr. Stephen Cabral. So I quit alcohol in October 2010. Holy moly, a very long time ago. And I quit when I was sick in hospital and I have not had a sip since. Nothing, not one sip. And I get asked all the time, how did I quit and why did I quit? And we cover all of that in this conversation. But it's truly not something I even think about anymore. Nick doesn't drink. A lot of our friends don't drink and it's such a non-event in my life. And I cannot tell you how good I feel. The energy, the clarity, the anxiety has gone. I cannot express how good I feel. Every day I have energy, I have clarity, I bounce out of bed. And I used to lose a whole day in the week on a Sunday because I would spend the whole day in bed and then would get up in the afternoon and go and eat fast food and then regret that and feel crap about myself the whole next week following that and then do it all over again. Alcohol just did not support me. It didn't help me be the best version of myself. And it wasn't in alignment with who I truly am. And so I just decided as an experiment to stop. And many, many, many years later, over a decade later, I'm still here. And who knows? If I'll continue to do it forever, I don't know. But right now, it feels so good to not drink and to have that clarity in my mind. You're not spending money on alcohol. It's way cheaper. And there's just so many positive ripple effects that come from not drinking. And there's so many not so positive ones that ripple out when you do have a drink. You know, you have a drink, you spend money, you end up staying out later, you end up eating greasier food, you end up sleeping in the next day. The next day, you just end up laying in bed and not being productive or getting out into the sunshine and things like that. So for me, it didn't balance out. The positives were way outweighing the negatives. So I decided to quit. So if you are interested in hearing more about how and why I quit and also the effects of alcohol on the body, it is inflammatory. So if you have any sort of illness or disease in your body, it is only going to add to the inflammation in your body. It is only going to add to it. It is not going to take away. So think about that. It is inflammatory and it is going to add to the inflammation in your body. So have a listen to this conversation with Dr. Stephen Cabral, one of my favorite humans on this earth, and come and tell me on Instagram. If you have quit alcohol, I would love to hear. And a lot of people, when they come to me and they they realize that I haven't had a sip of alcohol since 2010, they're like, how? Like, how have you done that? And and how can I how can I do that? Because they want to embark on that as well and they just don't know where to start. And I'm the same as you. I always ask them, well, 
I want you to reflect on why. Why are you drinking? Why? Is it to numb? Is it to give you the confidence? Is it to fit in? Is it a bit of peer pressure? Is it to be cool? I personally think, you know, we really need to look at the why because those were the reasons why I did it. And I personally think they're not the best reasons. And so maybe next time you do go and have a drink, you ask yourself, well, why am I doing this? Do I feel peer pressure right now? Am I trying to fit in? Is it a habit? And be really honest with yourself because often a lot of it is habit. And I used to go out every Friday and every Saturday night for cocktails. Now I go out for coconuts, you know, so it's instead of catching up for drinks with your friends, go and do something different. So when I realized, okay, this is not how I want to live my life anymore. I, I thought, okay, well, what am I going to do with my Saturday night? And what am I now going to do with my Sundays? And I had to create new healthy habits. And I didn't even know where to begin. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go for a walk with my friends, or I'm going to do something creative, like an art class or a pottery class. I'm going to go stand up paddleboarding. I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to play tennis. There are a million things that you can do in a social environment that don't require you to become unconscious and poison yourself. And I have two really great friends here in Australia. They're meditation teachers, Tim Brown and Gary Goro, and they created an event called the Conscious Club. And it was once a month and they put it on in Sydney. And then I think they moved it around and they did one in Brisbane and one in Melbourne as well. And once a month, they did this Conscious Club where they brought, sometimes there was about 600 people there. And it started with like 30. And I went to the first ever one. And we began with a meditation and it was about coming together to become conscious because they, you know, used to party as well. And they, you know, stopped that long, a long time ago. And then they were like, well, what can we do on a Friday and a Saturday night? So they created the Conscious Club and they brought people together on a Friday and Saturday night. And we watched an inspiring doco. There was sometimes live music. There was an organic vegan meal. There was meditation and mingling. And this took off, as you can imagine, Stephen, it absolutely took off. And so I want to encourage everybody listening to instead of doing your habitual Friday night drinks, Saturday night dinner and drinks, you know, do something different or just go to bed and then wake up early and you've got all of your day on Saturday and all of your day on Sunday to do the things that make you feel good as opposed to doing the things that are poisoning your body. Absolutely right. And that's that's the interesting thing is that you will never get to even move, in my opinion, closer to the things that you want out of life if you're pushing yourself further away by participating in excessive alcohol. I'm not talking about a drink, but excessive alcohol. And the reason is that a lot of the time we have to do what we have to do Monday through Friday. A lot of people are in jobs right now that they may not love. But in order for you to work on you, then you need the weekends. And if you are waking up late because you stayed out late, or you're waking up hungover or whatever it might be, you're not going to get to that space in the first place. Like you need that time. And you also, you don't just need the time, but you need to make sure that you're clear headed, that you can sit down and write, or you can study for that certification or exam or whatever it is that you're doing. So there's so much to the benefit 
of that, meaning like that, the time that you get back. And I love that people are creating groups like that. You know, one thing that I'll share is just that I still, I, so I believe everybody needs to take a sabbatical from almost everything in life every once in a while. And because when you step back, you can think more clearly. Whenever you're in a certain situation, it's difficult to think. It's almost like when you want to respond on social media or an email, you give yourself the night to think about it and you're more clear-headed the next day. Well, think about it this way. Give yourself, I always say 21 days, give yourself three weekends off from drinking. And that might mean that you need to just come up with excuses, go on a vacation, go away from your, your drinking buddies, your friends, whatever it might be, your social group. And then do that and see how you feel. You need a different frame of reference. You need to create what I call a new normal for a period of time of what life could be like or maybe like. Now, you might say, but I miss all of those friends because I work with many people and I've been in the situation myself where now they're missing out on their, their community of friends, the people that they like. Now, one, you need to make some new friends. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't need to forget about your old ones, but make these new friends that do and participate in other things besides drinking alcohol. And especially if you have body transformation or wellness-based goals, because I do want to share some scary propositions of what alcohol can do to the body in, in a moment. But what I did was this. I took some time away from the, the guys, my buddies, that I would always go out and drink with. And I didn't do that because I don't think that they're some of the most amazing humans in the world because I believe that they are and still feel that way to this day. But I needed some time for myself to get my insomnia back in check, to get my wellness back in check, and to really work on my, we would call it adrenals, but it was the HPA axis. And alcohol absolutely destroys the adrenals and the HPA axis with electrolytes and sodium retention, et cetera. So that's what I did. And then what I realized was a lot of the time when I was drinking, I was doing it to like fit in as part of the group. So I said, is it possible for me to go out with the same group of people and they drink, but I don't? knowing full well that they're going to say, come on, have a drink, or why aren't you drinking? And then the first time I might just say, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm on a special diet or whatever it might be. I'm taking the weekend off. And you see how you do. And, and I found out it was not that bad because these are a great group of people. I love hanging out with them. They can drink and I, I don't have to. And it's what I do to this day for the most part. I go out, I order a soda water with a splash of cranberry and a, a couple squeezes of lime, like a couple of limes in there. To me, since I don't typically have even a splash of cranberry, that's like a special drink. So that is what I reserve for only when I go out. And then when I'm going out with my friends and they see me drinking that, they are just happy that I'm out hanging out with everybody. And so they don't need me to drink. Now, in the beginning, they thought it might make them feel awkward because they're drinking and I'm not. But I made sure that I was still the same person, that I would still go out, you know, be goofy, having a good time, whatever it might be. And we still, we, we just had just as good a time. So if I can pass this on to other people, like you can still go out, you can not drink. And as long as you're okay with it and you don't act different and you don't judge anyone, it can be a great time. I hope that little snippet has inspired you to think about your alcohol intake. And if you want to listen to the whole conversation, head to episode 197 and let me know what you think. Okay, let's move on to number seven of the most downloaded episodes of all time. This is episode 213, How to Become an Exceptional Lover with Juliet Allen. So she is a sexologist. She is an incredible human. This episode is for anyone who wants to be a better 
lover. Many, many years ago, I thought that once you got married, you didn't have to work on yourself anymore. You didn't have to work on your relationship anymore, but that could not be further from the truth. Forever, you will continue to grow, learn, and evolve individually and as a couple. And I speak so much about this in Open Wide, my second book, which is called Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships, and Soulful Sex, where I share very openly and intimately about my relationship and how to have better relationships with yourself, with your lover, with your friends, everyone in your life. But there's a whole section on soulful sex and how to be a better lover because I think it's not spoken about enough, but it's truly so important. And I absolutely believe that when you are in a partnership, there are three entities in the partnership. There's you, there's your partner, and then there's both of you. And you have to work on all three of those. Otherwise, the relationship will just shrivel. And we don't want that. We want the relationship to really thrive. So if you want to be a better lover, if you want to take your relationship to the next level, if you are single and you want to learn some more skills on how to be a better lover, an exceptional lover, listen to this full conversation with Juliet Allen. But here is one of my favorite snippets from this conversation. Another thing that I get asked a lot, both from friends and, you know, people in my team and and people I've worked with is, okay, I'm in a long-term relationship. How do I keep the intimacy alive? Like, how do we keep that fresh and exciting and, you know, really sexy and steamy still? Like, I've got friends that have been together for, you know, 13, 20 years, you know, longer. So what are your tips on how we can really keep that intimacy alive in a long-term relationship? Mm, It's such a big question and I get asked this a lot. And so I'll give some tips, but keeping in mind those who are listening that we are all so unique. So what works for one person may not work for the other, especially in relationship. So yeah, keep that in mind that some of these tips may not be for you. But I would say, firstly, there needs to be both people in relationship need to want to prioritize sex and intimacy. I find that with a lot of clients and couples that I see that often one person is just not that into it and they're not wanting to prioritize it and the other does. And that's where conflict arises because one person sees it as so important and the other is like, I don't really care. Like this isn't important to me. So getting together and having a conversation to agree, this is something that we want to prioritize in this relationship from the beginning. So having that conversation. And then I recommend always prioritizing quality time with each other. So what can happen is we get really busy at the start. We're in the quote unquote honeymoon phase and we're like we can't get enough of each other and then life rolls on we get busy we're all all very busy these days I find that we're busier than ever and sex gets pushed onto the sidelines and we don't prioritize just simply quality time so as a couple agreeing that even if we have children which a lot of people listening would that you need to make time without the kids too, where it's just you guys. You don't have to actually have sex, but where you can just chat and have fun and laugh and 
have intimacy together, whether that's just cuddling or kiss or, or whether it leads into making love, but prioritize quality time. And then on the opposite end of that, prioritize solitude. So a, a lot of people in my arena of work do recommend that you need to have all these weekends away and lots of time together. But I also think what's equally as important is fostering your own relationship with yourself and feeling fully whole within yourself as an individual and nurturing yourself and loving yourself. So also make time for that. So they're the basics. Yes, I agree so much. Solo time for not just a healthy, happy sex life, but for you being the best version of you and the quality time together. We are huge on that. Mm. You know, whether it's going for a walk without your phone or going on a dinner date or going on a picnic, just literally there needs to be once a week something that you two do that is just you two. And it doesn't have to be long. It could literally be one hour. And we all have one hour a week to prioritize our beloved. And yeah, it could literally just be a walk around the block for one hour without your phones, without the kids, without the dog, Mm -hmm. just you two, or even, you know, going and sitting on the beach or at the park and just Mm -hmm. sitting opposite each other and talking again without your phone. It's so important. And yeah, you you know, both people need to be in and that comes back to practicing that crystal clear communication and having that dialogue with the other person and and going, hey, you know, let's let's really work on this because like I talk about in Open Wide, you know, relationships need to be nurtured and loved and watered. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. And if you want your relationship to thrive, then you've got to water it. You've got to give it love and energy and the right amount of sunlight and the right amount of soil and the good quality soil. And that's, you know, what I've seen, you know, with my, not just with my husband, but just with my friendships as well. You know, the friendships where both sides are equally, you know, watering the relationship. That's where the friendships thrive. But, you know, I have found as well in other relationships, if it's just one person watering the relationship, it doesn't work. You know, it doesn't work. Like, and I see this a lot in different friendships, you know, either I'll be the one that's watering it and the other person's just not that interested and that's okay. Or, you know, there'll be someone on the other side watering it and maybe it's doesn't feel right for me in that moment or whatever it is. Mm. It's just becoming aware that if you want a thriving partnership with your beloved and friendships, they've got to be watered. Yeah. And that takes time and it takes commitment and, and you can't just not, yeah, it's, it's a great analogy. You, you can't buy a beautiful new pot plant, chuck it in the corner of the house. And if you don't water it and don't give it love and don't give it sunshine, it's not going to blossom and grow and be really green and beautiful. It's the same with a relationship. You know, you can't at the start be like, oh, yay, a nice shiny new partner. Wow, this is all fun and games and now I'm just going to not prioritize it and expect that you're going to have this rich, deep, full sexual relationship. You will not. It will die and the your, yeah relationship won't last or you'll be in a relationship with no sex and probably deeply unhappy. 
My friends, if you want to listen to the full conversation, head to episode 313, How to Be an Exceptional Lover with Juliet Allen. Number six, the sixth most downloaded episode of all time is episode number 275, Heal Your Hormones with Alyssa Vietti. This is such a powerful conversation. We are talking about the pill. We're talking about hormones because so many women are really struggling with this. They have acne, they have PCOS, they have endometriosis, they're struggling to get pregnant, all sorts of things. So this is so important. There are so many things that can really disrupt our hormones, even from what we eat, our lifestyle factors, the pill, stress, chemicals, all sorts of things. And there are so many things that we can do, which I actually teach inside Holy Mama. There are so many things that we can do to support our hormones, to heal our hormones, to take care of our hormones. And we dive deep into all of that in this conversation. Have a listen. In Women Code, you talk about how we can perfect our cycle. So how do we do that? And is there such thing as like a perfect cycle? Well, there's an optimal cycle, yes. And, you know, I really love talking to women about checking the color of their bleed every month because it's like a live hormone test that in real time, it gives you a great snapshot into what's happening. So what you want to do to optimize your cycle, to perfect your cycle, again, is to recognize you may have a diagnosis, you may have already a condition, you may have just PMS. Going through those first three steps of the flow protocol that I describe in Woman Code is critical for you to reestablish endocrine function. And then you want to check your cycle every month and you want to say, okay, what color is it? What's the consistency? How long is my bleed? You know, am I having any symptoms? And really trying to get to a place where you're having that optimal flow, which is, you know, four to seven days, nice, fresh, healthy red color, clot-free and pain-free. That is an optimal cycle. And that is absolutely something that you can biohack, right? So for example, let's say you're having tremendous cramps. Well, cramps are the imbalance of prostaglandin ratios, right? So there are three prostaglandins in your system, PGE1, two, and three. If nature designed you to be in pain, which a lot of us believe because that's the cultural narrative that says, oh, women are have the curse and you know, they're going to suffer and be in pain. It's even, you know, in some religious texts that we're supposed to suffer. It's not biologically accurate because you have only one prostaglandin that controls for uterine contraction. That's PGE2. But you have two prostaglandins, PGE1 and PGE3, that cause uterine relaxation. So you, ju- you just have a little bit of uterine contraction that you that you get stimulated by so that the uterus moves and ha- can help move the endometrium out of the body. But you have twice as much prostaglandin that causes your uterus to relax. So nature has designed your periods to be pain-free. However, if you're eating the wrong kinds of fats, fats that are high in omega-6, heavily processed vegetable oils, et cetera, you're gonna jack up the production of PGE2 and suppress the production of PGE1 and 3, and you're going to have more cramps. So you can literally eat your way out of cramps within two cycles. If you have any sort of hormonal issues, go and listen to this full conversation. 
Heal Your Hormones with Alyssa Vietti, episode number 275. And I will link to it in the show notes for you as well. Okay, we are halfway there. Number five, the fifth most downloaded episode of all time is episode 199, Heal Your Relationship with Money, Do Less and Have It All with Kate Northrup. Another money episode. Interesting, isn't it? Very interesting. So this episode is such a great conversation. I love that Kate is so unapologetic about money and about abundance and wealth. It's really, really important. So like I said before with Denise's episode, if you want to heal your relationship with money, if you want to remove some of the stress and the hustle in your life and still be able to do it all, as Kate Northrup says, you are going to love this conversation. Here's one of my favorite snippets from this episode. Why is it so important that we fall in love with money and we reevaluate our relationship with money? And how do we do that? Mm, Yes. So it is so important because we have to use money every day. And so it's not one of those things like if you have a tumultuous relationship with drugs or alcohol, you can just, I mean, I, I understand it is not easy, but you can stop using them. Whereas money, We live in a society where you need money and money is this thing that we sort of all agreed to participate in. And the thing is, we as humans, we made it up. It really doesn't exist. And it's just a stand in. It's a symbol for value, for what we value. And so we really need to you know, for me and for the people I've worked with, we've had over 5,000 graduates of our Money Love course. It's about creating a loving relationship with our money so that it it is no longer a source of stress and angst, but instead a source of freedom and joy and possibilities. So, it, you know, because otherwise it just causes so much stress and friction every single day, all day long. Yeah, absolutely. So many people are in that state right now where money is a cause of such stress and relationships break up and break down over it. So how do we get to that place where money is a source of joy and and fun and play and not so stressful? How do we get there? Because some people listening might be like, oh my gosh, that feels miles away. Yeah. But how do we get there? Well, first of all, I am a huge believer in examining where our beliefs came from. And that's why I called my book Money, A Love Story, because we really need to examine the story that we're carrying around, around money, examine the story that we inherited, really come clean on what our money story is, and then choose from this day forward to write a different one. because. There are people who are, and by the way, I also just want to say it's not about the amount of money. I know people who make millions who are not happy. I know people who make, you know, 30,000 a year who are incredibly joyful. So it is not now at the same time, though, money brings us choices. And so it's important to get honest and get real about where your money beliefs came from and what they are. Because that first step of awareness is so powerful for change. And I'm sure, I mean, listeners of your show already are, I'm sure, on board with the notion 
that our beliefs create our reality to some degree. I mean, obviously there are other forces going on in the world that are systemic, but there is a large degree to which our beliefs create our reality. And so that is so true when it comes to money. So I, I believe in the excavation process and really doing that work to sit with yourself and, and find out who's running the show and what beliefs are running the show, because no amount of right financial management techniques can really change your money story. But once you change your money story, or once you own your money story and then start to write a new one, then the financial action steps that all the personal finance people are telling you to do, but you can't seem to get yourself to do, then you will do them joyfully. Mm, Absolutely. And it's often, you know, when we do that inner work, when we do that reflection and we get really honest with ourselves on whose money story we're actually playing out. Like for me, it was my dad's, you know, it was my dad's story. And I was like, whoa, I have been living out my dad's money beliefs for 24 years. This is, you know, in my early twenties, when I realized this 24 years, And some people don't have this realization till a lot later in life. And I am so glad that I had this realization earlier on because I was able to see that his beliefs were what I was living out and that actually wasn't my truth. So I was able to rewrite my story, rewrite my money story and create a different reality for myself from very early on, which I'm just so grateful for. And the thing is, is everyone can do this. It just is a matter of sitting down and being really honest with ourselves and, you know, getting out your pen and paper and rewriting what you truly believe because, yeah, we can all do it. Heal your relationship with money, do less and have it all with Kate Northrup, episode number 199. Go and listen to the full conversation if you want to dive deeper into all things money. Okay, we're getting close, almost at number one. We have number four, episode number 203, Everything You Must Know About 5G and Blue Light with Dr. Jack Cruz. If you are a longtime listener to my podcast and follow me on social media and have read my books, you will know that I have been talking about the effects of 5G, Wi-Fi, and blue light for years. You cannot ignore it. We are getting zapped left, right, and center from 5G and Wi-Fi, and we need to do our best to protect ourselves as much as we can and create a wellness sanctuary in our home because that is what we can control. We can't control what happens when we leave our house in terms of blue light and 5G and Wi-Fi, but what we can control is what happens within our home. So making sure our home is a sanctuary is super important. And not to mention blue light. We have to mention blue light. So if you want to sleep better, make sure that you are not looking at or exposing yourself to blue light as soon as the sun goes down. Now, we have some incredible products that we love in our home, Bon Charge. You can get 15% off everything on their website using the code MELISSA at the checkout. So they have so many incredible blue light blocking products and also Wi-Fi protecting products as well. So you can check them out. And, you know, this episode was a little bit controversial because Jack is super forward. You just have to listen to it. But this was episode number 203. When this episode first came out, I got 
a lot of messages about it. A lot of people saying, Melissa, how could you let this man on your show? It was really big. And then I had a lot of people saying, thank you for this information. So he is very forward. Brace yourself. Maybe don't listen to this with your children. But it is really important information. We need to know and we need to talk about 5G. We need to talk about Wi-Fi. We need to talk about blue light. We need to do our best to remove those from our life as much as possible. So brace yourself. (laughs) Here's one of my favorite sections from this conversation. All artificial light at night, including even some of the ones that are present in nature, have a humongous effect on our biology. That's the reason why day and night cycles are incredibly important for you maintaining your wellness. So if you happen to be out in the full night, a full moon, and you do it consistently and you're not getting AM sunlight to restore or reset the circadian mechanism in your body, you're going to have problems long term. So what do we do at nighttime? What can we do? Go to sleep, just like you're supposed to. Go to sleep. Yeah, you're not supposed to have artificial light on. People today have 15 different devices on average, at least in the United States. I don't know what the latest data is in Oz, but in the U.S., there's between 12 and 15 devices that emit different forms of light radiation. When the sun sets, the way melanopsin works, as soon as you get past the sunset, 435 to 565 nanometer light becomes absolutely deadly to melatonin biology. It will destroy melatonin. It'll destroy the photoreceptors that are tied to the leptin mechanism. And basically, it undoes all of your circadian mechanisms. In fact, there was a paper that was just published in the last couple of days that actually showed when you do not get AM sunlight and it screws up insulin secretion, it does it through one of these molecular clock genes called the period two gene. That period two gene, when it becomes uncoupled, actually is what leads to tumor progression in all mammals that use this mechanism. It turns out every mammal on this planet that's either diurnal or nocturnal, actually uses the period one, period two genes. So this is the reason why people who have diabetes fundamentally have a blue light disease. It's also the reason why cancer is fundamentally a blue light disease at some level in that person's environment. The problem is no one gets told this, and I don't believe this is revolutionary at all. I think it's blatantly obvious if anybody has read the articles that have been published in the last 25 years on chronobiology, the problem is most people spend too much of their time following uh, Paleo Pete Evans instead of reading things that matter. So realistically for someone though, if it does get dark at like 4.30 where they live and they can't go to sleep and they do need to use some light, like is candles the best? Is amber bulbs? Is blue light blocking glasses? Like, what are some things that they can actually do if they do need some light? I think for a podcast like this, when you're trying to educate people, you should tell people what they should do, not what they can do. And what they should do is make it dark at night. So, if you want to do something at night, candlelight's probably your best bet because it has the lowest effect on melatonin levels. But the, the real key point here is for people who don't understand the chronobiology, this is maybe their first introduction to it, complete darkness is what you need. For example, again, I don't know about your audience and how sophisticated they are reading the latest data, 
But if you're a woman who has a history of breast cancer, the data is crystal clear. If you have any artificial light at night in your environment, your cancer is much more likely to come back. If you want to get breast cancer, put artificial light on at night, and you're probably going to be setting yourself up for a major problem. Wow. That's the kind of things that we need to get out there. I'm not interested in teaching people what they can do. I'm interested in teaching people what they should be doing. I told you he was forward, but I do really feel like we need to talk about this stuff. And we do our very best, like I said, to mitigate the effects in our home as much as we possibly can. So if you want to listen to the entire conversation, head to melissaramassini.com forward slash 203, everything you must know about 5G and blue light with Dr. Jack Cruz. Okay, my friends, number three, the third most downloaded episode of all time, episode number 235, Seven Steps to Healing the Mother Wound with Bethany Webster. So what is the mother wound, I hear you asking. The mother wound is the karmic stuff that is passed down from mother to mother to mother through that red thread lineage line. So from your mother's 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 mother and all the way back. There is stuff, there is ancestral stuff that is passed down from mother to mother. And if we aren't aware of it, we will pass it on to our daughters. So this episode is super important. This work is very important. We do not want to carry this stuff with us any longer. And you, my friend, are a light worker and you have come here to heal this lineage stuff so that you don't pass it on to your children. This episode is incredible. I am so excited for you to hear it. I love this conversation. Here is one of my favorite sections. So I developed, you know, my own theory about, you know, I started journaling, you know, based on all the journaling I had done, and then also my own reading and research, that this term, the mother wound. So people have mentioned the mother wound before, writers like Adrian Rich, Chris Jane Northrup, Susan Forward, a lot of other people have used that phrase, but no one has really fleshed it out. And that's that's what I've done in my work over the course of the past five years is really flesh out what the mother wound is, how it shows up in our lives, why it's important that we heal it. And there's a specific piece that's important, which is linking the experience that we have with our mothers at, with patriarchy. So it's really about patriarchal culture, which is this culture where women are considered less than, inferior to men, and how this atmosphere has distorted the relationships to some degree between mothers and daughters. And, and basically what it means is patriarchy has told women, you're not good enough, you're less than, you're, you should be invisible, you know, you should be subservient. Like all of these messages that our whole lineages, all of us as women, our mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers have lived in this atmosphere and they've given birth to daughters. And so that atmosphere limits, you know, how much a woman can feel, how, you know, powerful a woman can feel, how safe a woman can feel in the world. It limits how much she can offer that to her own daughter. And so 
a lot of us have like healthy relationships with our mothers, you know, healthier. I think it's like a spectrum, right? There's healthy mother-daughter relationships on one end and then more severe traumatic relationships on another. We all fall somewhere on this spectrum of the mother wound. And the difference is, you know, how much trauma we've experienced in our own childhood histories, as well as the cultural trauma of, you know, just the messages we get from church, from, you know, schools, from the media, you know, we're all fed these messages of female inferiority. It's reinforced everywhere. The thing with the mother wound is that it gets mixed. It gets mixed with our needs for love, safety, and belonging, our three most basic human needs. So we internalize whatever patriarchal beliefs our mothers have passed on to us more deeply entrenched than any other places. It's like the most insidious forms of patriarchy come through our mothers for this reason. And often it's unintentional, you know, like mothers wanting to protect their daughters, like don't speak too loud. Don't bring attention to yourself. Don't rock the boat, you know, stay in the confines of acceptability. And those messages are given out of love a lot of times to protect the daughter, to keep her out of harm's way. But often these are precisely the messages actually that we need to move beyond in order to truly individuate, to access our potential, to embody our power. Those are really the messages that we need to dissolve their hold over us. So I really see that right now, like what's happening in the world is that we stand at this precipice where we're watching patriarchal dysfunction take place everywhere, right? Politics, media, you know, the Me Too movement. We're really seeing on full horrific display how patriarchy has distorted and created suffering all around us. And I think that we are on the real precipice of opportunity as women to do this deeper inner work because honestly the mother wound is a product of patriarchy and i believe we are ready to move beyond it but we need to do the work and so my life's work is dedicated to providing the roadmap the mindsets and the support and sisterhood around doing this work it's a big wound it's not just personal right it's not just about our mothers but it's also a cultural wound it's a spiritual wound and it's also planetary The mother wound is also part of our wound with the earth itself and our disconnection from the earth, our disconnection from one another, you know, as humans, our collective belonging. So it's all deeply connected. And so the empowering thing is that when we do our deep inner work as women, we help to heal. We help to heal this collective wound on a cultural level, on a spiritual level, and on a planetary level. So it's it's inspiring. It's it's important. It's a big thing, but it's so possible. And so I'm just really passionate about telling women that, you know, this is possible to heal this wound and to change the course of things for future generations. Yes, 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 yes. I love this so much. And I love you and I love your work because every single person listening can probably relate to some degree. I want to encourage you to grab your journal and maybe do some writing about any mother wounds that you might have and take yourself through that seven-step process. And if you want to listen to the whole conversation, head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash 235. Okay, my friends, number two, the second most downloaded episode of all time, 223 
How to Manifest Anything You Want with Lacey Phillips. In this episode, Lacey and I both share our powerful manifestation processes, which you are going to love. We talk about exactly how to manifest the health, relationships, career, money, life, whatever it is that you desire. So if you want to manifest something in your life right now, you're going to love this conversation. Here's one of my favorite parts of the episode. I have a little three-step manifesting process that I'd love to share with you as well. I can't wait. And I have manifested so many amazing things through this process. And I love everything that you've said. And I think your work is so amazing. I've got a few more questions for you around the types of things that you have witnessed people manifest. Because I've seen all sorts of amazing things, you know, people manifesting their dream jobs and partners and healing from certain things and, you know, money. You know, one of my friends said to me, I just manifested $10,000, you know, so I have, I've heard some amazing stories. And what's worked for me over the years is firstly, getting really clear on what it is that I want. Absolutely. So, writing that down, getting really clear on what it is, because we can't manifest like something we don't really know what we want. You know, we might be like, yeah, I want a new job. Oh, well, what type of job? Like, what do you see yourself doing? What, you know, what does it look like? So I think that's a really important point is getting really clear on what it is you exactly want. And then secondly, what I do is in my morning meditation, I fully feel it and I feel as though I already have that thing or I feel like that thing or whatever it is I want to manifest is already within me because it is. And I, you know, I smile whilst I'm doing it and and I feel like that turns on my cells and it turns you know, my body, it wakes my body up and Mm -hmm. I feel it with every fiber of my being and every single cell in my body. And I see it and I own it and I embrace it and I embody it. But in saying that, if an emotion comes up, I feel that too. I don't suppress that. I don't do the spiritual bypassing. If there's like unworthiness that arises when I'm doing this exercise, I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And I do go and look at that because I feel like triggers are invitations for healing. And so I I look at that. There's definitely no suppressing. I have, you know, I learned to suppress and that didn't get me very far. So I had to relearn to feel my emotions. And then the third step is I take daily inspired action. And so that after my meditation, I write down the one thing that I need to do today to move toward that thing that I want to manifest. Maybe it's making a phone call or it's booking the class or it's hiring a graphic designer or having a conversation with someone. And so that's my little three-step manifesting process that has worked for me and has worked for lots of people as well. And yeah, I just, I love that we have this at our fingertips and that there's people like you out there teaching people how to take back responsibility and ownership of their life but I would love to hear what are some of the epic things that you have witnessed people manifest? Absolutely. And thank you so much for sharing that. And I love what you said about the clarity piece, I think is so important. You know, something I say often, like in our our number one workshop, which is how to manifest is 
if you ask for wishy-washy things, you get wishy-washy stuff in your life, right? So I love encouragement of clarity and something really fascinating. I don't know if you've heard of human design. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Oh, do you know what you are? I imagine a generator. Yes. It's so wonderful. And it actually just really intertwines super beautifully with my work in the sense that I believe that we came when it comes to manifestation, I really believe that our incarnation on the planet is, you know, for us to get back into our most whole, worthy, authentic selves, wholeness, which is what we were born as essentially, right? And then we experience pain, shame, and blah, 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 the human experience. And therefore it builds kind of up this ego onion layer that we need to peel back. And so with that, human design is really beautiful in the sense that it it expresses that we all came in as a soul with a blueprint to our authenticity. And therefore, if we decondition all of the not self things we've picked up, then we live in complete utter flow. If you want to listen to the entire conversation with the incredible Lacey Phillips, head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash 223. And please come and tell me on Instagram what you are wanting to manifest in your life right now. I would absolutely love to hear. Come and share with me. And now, drum roll please, the most downloaded episode of all time. Episode 227, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus with the incredible John Gray. He's been on the podcast twice. He was also on episode 414, Mars and Venus in the Bedroom and How to Have Great Sex, which was awesome. But his first episode, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, is the most downloaded episode of all time. It is incredible. His book is incredible. If you want to be the best lover that you can be, this book is essential reading for all. And this episode is essential listening for all. This book is life-changing. And it's no wonder it's sold more than 15 million copies. Honestly, it's just life-changing information. Nick and I reread it. We reference it together all the time. We go back to it. It is a game changer. Brace yourself. Get your pen and paper ready. Listen to this with your partner. It is a game changer. How do we find that balance? Is it what you said, you know, women balancing their hormones? First of all, When I say balancing hormones, I don't mean taking hormones. I mean, having a thorough understanding, which my book presents after, you know, years of research to come up with this stuff is what behaviors, if you're a woman, will stimulate the right hormones for the right day of the month for you? Because it changes every day of the month. And once you're in menopause, what do you need to do then? So these are like a big understanding of women have to become aware of their bodies, what their needs are and so forth. And typically... You have to know how to come back into balance, ways to come back into balance. And, you know, it's out there right now. It just doesn't have the clarity. You know, many books are about women. You need to take self-nurturing time. You need to do what you love to do. You need to, you know, take time so you're not obsessed with work all the time. And that's all really good. And what I do is sort of create a, a bigger scientific context so we can make sense of it and then strategies to find that balance. But before I can simply answer the question, which when you get the answer to that question, we don't have so much divorce and we'll have younger women falling in love with men again, as opposed to now, they all just want to be on their own. They don't want to get married. And when they get relationships, they unknowingly sabotage the relationship. Men unknowingly sabotage the relationship. So nobody's staying together and we have broken families. We have a disaster. We have polarization in our society, extreme 
And it all starts at home when men and women can't connect. When we get this gender confusion, there's this polarization. We're trying to find balance. We don't know how. So the first step in finding balance is to recognize you're out of balance. Okay. What are the symptoms of out of balance? Well, you're not happy, period. If you're not happy, you're out of balance. If you're stressed, you're out of balance. Anytime the hormone cortisol is elevating, I mean, cortisol is always in your body. It's a stress hormone. We always have a little bit, but when it's elevated, what happens in women, it's like, imagine you're being threatened and you're in danger. When stress increases, that's a danger hormone. You can either go to, I need help, or I can do it myself. When you go to reaching out for help, estrogen's going up in your body. When you go to, I can't trust anybody to help me, I have to do it myself, your testosterone goes up and your estrogen goes down and your progesterone gets used up. So the female hormones, when women go to that independent side and they're under stress, they lose their female hormones. And when you're over on your male side, which is testosterone production and not progesterone or estrogen production, what happens is to come back into balance is the last thing you want to do. It doesn't feel natural. You don't want to do it. You just keep going out of balance. That's the tendency and we, of, of our nature as human beings. When you're out of balance, we tend to keep going further and further out of balance. Like if you're eating potato chips, <laughs> you're just going to keep eating more and more. Or you're eating a, a cookie. Try eating one cookie. Your blood sugar is now out of balance. It spikes. It comes down. And now you want another cookie, another cookie. Uh, if you need to exercise, the people who need to exercise the most are the people who have huge resistance to getting up and doing it. Whenever you need to do something because you're out of balance, typically, if we're not happy and loving and our heart isn't open, to make that shift is against our nature. It means I don't want to do it. That doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good to me. It feels uncomfortable to me. It makes me feel insecure. This is what's happening to women to try to follow my advice. Uh, how to become vulnerable, how to be open, how to ask for help, how to share your feelings, how to become more deeply involved, how to be more intimate. Women have to come back to very feminine attributes that are in there, but the women who need it the most are the women who have the most resistance to it. They're afraid of looking weak, wimpy, needy. Ir you know, They're afraid of losing love if they go to their female side. It's just, uh, there's she, she imagines she'll get no love and support. And in some cases, she won't. That's why she went over there is because probably in childhood, various times, you know, she's been ridiculed, dismissed, put down, rejected, or she didn't have a father who was present for her who could really validate her feelings and so forth, or brothers that would make fun of her. So if she was being feminine on the feminine side, then if you don't feel loved and supported, you go to your masculine side. Same thing for men. If men don't have father figures, for example, and this is a big tragedy, the lack of father figures and for males growing up today, what happens is you don't have confidence. You don't know how to do things. You have an overprotective mother generally, and you don't have a father who's a risk taker who's able to deal with problems. He teaches you how to fix things, solve things. It's no big deal. We'll handle it. There's not a lot of judgment on making mistakes. So that father energy, that male energy doesn't grow inside the boy we, we see now is these boys are addicted, they're emotional, they're irritable, they're passive, they're low performers. This is a big crisis. I wrote a whole book called Boy Crisis. I know we're not focusing on that, but it's, a, it's happening on a global level. And so on one level, this is an evolutionary jump from the place Maslow talked about it. Most people are familiar with Maslow, for those who aren't. He's a, a psychologist, very famous for this sort of major discovery that 
human beings, male or female, when we, well, our, our primary motivations, our needs, what becomes most important to us when we're in survival mode, if we're too high, if it's, if we're cold, the most important thing is warmth, heat. If we're hungry, the most important thing is food. If we already have house, we have warmth, we have food, then the next thing is protection. We have to protect what we have. So this is, you know, we have survival and security needs. These are like basic to life. But once those needs are fulfilled or we're capable of fulfilling them on our own, a shift takes place, an evolutionary shift takes place where suddenly what becomes most important to us is emotional fulfillment, the ability to achieve, to express our inner potential, the ability to experience intimacy, emotional fulfillment that way, feeling good about ourselves, self-esteem, also serving others, getting the support we need. These are all the emotional dynamics of emotional intelligence to a great extent. And for women, when that shift took place, they wanted to assert themselves to achieve and feel good about themselves. Look what I can do. And for men, they want to experience greater happiness and intimacy and, and, and a connection. So men went over to their female side, women went to their male side, but we go too far, then we're out of balance. So that's a good evolutionary step. It creates a, endless problems. But once we realize we're out of balance, then we're willing to humble ourselves and learn how to find balance by doing those things that don't feel natural. But you have to learn how, if you're a strong woman on your male side, how to become soft and vulnerable. If you're an emotional man, how to stop talking, stop whining, stop complaining, be a man, suck it up and be independent and solve the problem. Don't react and get all emotional about things. And you see why you need to have this understanding of hormones is that's basic science. That's, that's objectivity. It's not just some psychological theory because we have all these psychological theories about men, you know, oh, you need to talk about your feelings and women, you need to get them to talk about his feelings. That's going to solve problems. Well, that's called arguing. And that's the worst thing you can do is have these emotionally charged arguments. Arguments are fine if they're difference of opinion, but if somebody's getting emotionally charged and it's the man, it's not going to resolve well. If the man can learn to listen to a woman's emotional charge, it will go down very quickly. He has to learn the art of listening. She has to learn, in this case, the art of giving him space if he needs to take it and how not to provoke him when he takes time away. So good, huh? He is incredible and such a beautiful man. Every interaction I've had with him, I'm like, you are so nice and so loving, and so kind, and caring, so generous with his time. He's just the real deal, like truly. Go and listen to the full conversation. Be one of the many other people who have listened to this, and loved it, and got so much out of it. Episode 227, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, with John Gray. There is no mistake that it is the most downloaded episode of all time. So there you have it, my friends, the 10 most downloaded episodes of all time on the show. I am so excited for you guys to go and listen to the full conversation of each of these. And I will link to every single one for you in the show notes so that you have easy access. You can just go and click on each of those. Have a listen. Come and tell me on Instagram what your favorite one is out of these 10. Is it men are from Mars, women are from Venus? Would you vote that as number one? I would love to hear. So come and tell me on Instagram. And if you got a lot out of this conversation, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means we can inspire and educate even more people together. 
And it also means that all of my episodes will just pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for a new episode. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.